Welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. I'm Peter Bregman, your host and CEO of Bregman Partners. This podcast is part of my mission to help you get massive traction on the things that matter most. We are lucky today in the podcast. We have with us Stephen M.R. Covey. Uh, You probably know him for his book, The Speed of Trust, The One Thing That Changes Everything. It's an excellent book. Uh, I really, really loved it, and that's what we're here to talk about today. Um, He is the co-founder and CEO of CoveyLink Worldwide. He used to be the CEO of Covey Leadership Center, which under his stewardship became the largest leadership development company in the world. Uh, You also probably know his father of the seven habits of highly effective people uh, fame and uh, who is the author of that. Uh, And and but I, I, you know, Stephen M. R. Covey uh, comes with his own independent credentials. And I've just, you know, enjoyed uh, meeting you, Stephen, uh, myself here. Uh, You know, we we have been on each other's radar. And so it's really, really nice to (laughs) to actually connect in person. I'm excited to talk to you about the book. Well, thank you, Peter. And I'm absolutely delighted to have this conversation with you. I admire you and your work and to be on your leadership uh, podcast is is a thrill. So so I'm I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, you're kind. Thank you. So Stephen, I um, I loved reading the foreword by your father. You know, you clearly uh, had his trust, and I'm just I, I you know just from an outcome perspective of what this is all about. I w- wonder if you could talk just a few moments about like what it feels like to have that kind of a blessing from your father, that kind of trust. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know. Uh, really unbelievable, and and uh, in fact, I remember it from my my earliest years uh, in in the Seven Habits book. My father's one of his signature stories is he calls green and clean, where he's trying to teach his son, which was me, how to take care of the the lawn, and it, and it really was a trust story because you know Harry was a seven year old boy, and he was trusting me to take care of the lawn, and this is back when you had to do you know manual sprinklers and everything and. And uh, and and at first I kind of failed, but but he just stayed with the trust. And then I rose to the occasion, and you know, as a seven-year-old, became pretty responsible. And and it shows you the power of trust. And I and I felt that my entire life. And and so, uh, you know, my father not only is my father, but he but but uh, was really the the single greatest influence in my life, and including on my professional work because of what I learned from him, but also what I experienced from him. And and I learned trust from my father. In that I experienced it from him. He extended trust to me, and and, uh, and that inspires, and, and it inspired me. And so I, I couldn't be more thankful for such a, such an amazing blessing. You know, I love that story um, that you just told, and that was in Seven Habits, and and I love it. And I, I want to delve a little more deeply into this. And I'm gonna I'm gonna just name it, and then we're gonna come back to it. Okay. Which is this moment when you say, you know, he trusted me to do his lot. I didn't do such a great job. But he continued to trust me and I rose to the occasion. And I think that little snapshot is so indicative of the dilemma that so many of us face, which is someone disappoints us and that confirms for us the idea or maybe introduces to us the idea, I can't trust this person. So now I'm going to have to do a whole bunch of things in order to um, uh, uh, make sure that my failures are not based, uh, you know, are not related to this person's failures. Or, like, I just can't trust them. 
And, and the point that you just made is really, really important. And the challenge is how do we get over that feeling when someone disappoints us to actually trust them enough for them to be able to rise to the occasion? Because there's some situations where we'll keep trusting them and we're fools because right. they, you know, continue to, to, um, uh, do things that end up, uh, yeah. losing our trust. But before I do that, before I get there, okay. that's just, that's a place setter to make sure <laughs> I get back. What is trust? How do you define trust? Okay, here's a kind of a simple way of thinking about it. Trust is simply confidence. Confidence. In fact, in many languages, trust and confidence are the exact same word. Like in Spanish, French, you know, same word. In English, we have two words for it. So think in terms of confidence. And it's a confidence that comes from having both character and competence. Both are vital. And sometimes we, we only speak in terms of, we kind of think in terms of character to have trust. And you got to have character. That's the foundation. But you also need competence. And you have to deliver, perform. Because someone could be honest, but not able to deliver, right. <laughs> to perform. So, so I might trust them to watch my, my home or my apartment if I go on a vacation, right? Because they're honest. But I might not trust them on the key project or the key client, the key deliverable, if they don't have a track record of performing. So I need to see, you know, the competence as well as the character. And the combination of that creates a confidence that enables us to have trust. And so that's kind of a simple definition, confidence. That's great. That's a great um, two-pronged question to be asking. Is there a difference between having confidence in someone and trust in them? Or are they really synonymous? The way I'm talking about it is kind of becomes the same. Uh, I will say this, the confidence implies a little bit more on around the competence side that, that, you know, that they can deliver. And sometimes the trust implies a little bit more around the character side, but I'm trying to say it's really the same, that true trust, real sustainable trust, smart trust has got to have both character and competence and not just the idea of, you know, someone's trustworthy, meaning that they're honorable, but also that they deliver, they perform, they're current, they're relevant. That's important, too. And, and confidence sometimes conveys that a little bit stronger. So sometimes, sometimes I use the terms interchangeably. But uh, for my purposes, when I say trust, I mean confidence. Great. I love it. Now, I, I, I want to delve into the specifics of the books. But one more one more before question, which is there is a there is a phrase um, that was made famous by Ronald Reagan, focusing on nuclear disarmament with Russia. That's always sort of bugged me, and I've never really fully understood it. But I, I may, I wanted to ask you about it because I, I think it could shed light on what we mean by trust, and I also want to learn, uh, and uh, you know, as to whether how I've been thinking about it is wrong. Which is, it's that you probably know what I'm talking about, but it's this yeah. sort of trust but verify, right? I'm going to trust but mm-hmm. verify, and. And I wonder whether I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit, whether that makes sense and whether that's a smart thing to do and whether, you know, the but verify discounts the trust or it doesn't discount the trust. What your thoughts are? Yeah, it's it's a great question that a lot of people have. So let me just frame it this way. Um, um, When I talk about trust, I'm only talking about a, a smart trust as opposed to a blind trust. See, a blind trust is when, you know, the person that just kind of indiscriminately trusts anyone and everyone. And, and, you know, that's not very smart in today's world. Not everyone can be trusted. Or it's when people trust without expectations 
and without an agreed upon process for accountability. And you can be too trusting in a low trust world and get burned. But the other extreme, if, if blind trust is one extreme, the other extreme is, you know, distrust and suspicion characterized by the person that doesn't trust anyone or hardly anyone, maybe because of the fact they can't trust some. And I've seen many people fall into that trap. That's probably the more common trap to fall into where, you know, people are afraid to trust people because maybe they've been burned before and they, and they say, hey, it's just too risky. So I'm calling it smart trust. And in, in a sense, there is a, an element of that trust, but verify. But I like how you already express it. I, I don't like the word but because the but negates everything in front of it. So, right. so often when people say trust, but verify, that's usually just an excuse to never trust anyone. Right. Usually someone that's using that is, is not trusting at all. And, and they're all verify, verify, verify. They never started with trust. But, but, but the premise behind the verify could be smart if it's, you know, a trust and verify. So, for example, you know, I'm going to shortly get on a plane to go fly. And, and um, when I get on that plane, I'm hardly going to think about, about the safety issue because I know there's an FAA and there's standards and, and rules of, of safety and there's verification that's taking place because that verification does take place. It enables me to trust. So because someone verifies it, I can now trust if there were no, what if there were no FAA? What if it were just all up to the airlines to do their own thing? There's no standards, no expectations. And what if an airline were having a really lousy financial quarter <laughs> and, and doing bad and they, and they had to cut costs? You know, it'd be very easy to cut maintenance, wouldn't it? And, and to maybe not follow through. And, and so, so there's the verification per se is not well, it almost, bad. It almost, seems that, smart. it almost seems like it's the reverse. It shouldn't be trust but verify or trust and verify. It should be verify so I trust. Well, yes, I would say in some situations when there's high risk, like you're getting on a plane, that sometimes the verification enables people to trust. But I think in the work that you and I are doing and the that our listeners are doing, the leadership work, people working in relationships and on teams and, and leading teams and leading change initiatives, I really believe that as a starting point, starting with trust, giving trust, extending trust is probably a better starting point as long as we have clear expectations of what we're trusting on and an agreed upon process for accountability so, so that, that it's smart. Because let me tell you what it does. By starting with trust, it, it brings out the best in people and they rise to the occasion and they perform better. And they also, they give the trust back to you. It generates a reciprocity. So my father, back to this story, because this kind of relates to, to uh, this way you framed this, this trust, but verify. My father, he trusted me and I was a seven year old boy, but here's the key thing. He had very clear expectations. I want the yard to be green and clean, <laughs> clear expectations, you know, and those are results oriented words, green and clean. And then he also had an agreed upon process for accountability, which was that once a week we would walk around the yard and I would report back how we're doing against the criteria of green and clean. And so, so in that process, when I wasn't doing very good, he, he said, you know, why don't we walk around like we agreed we'd do once a week, it's that time now, and let's see how you're doing. And that's when I kind of acknowledge that, hey, I'm not doing very good, Dad, and I need help. Can you? Would you help me? And 
And uh, he said, sure, I'm your, I'd agree. I'd help you if I had got time and I've got time. And, and it was from that moment that I realized he trusts me and this is my job and he's going to help me. And, and so I think it was a smart trust my dad gave me as a seven-year-old boy because he had clear expectations and agreed upon process for accountability. And if you, if you start with that, I think the better starting point is to start with trust with your people, you know, unless there's extreme risk, you know, like an airplane or, or, you know, or where the person's not ready for that much trust yet. You don't want to set someone up to lose when, you know, you're trusting them too much on something with too great a risk and not enough credibility yet. But by starting with trust, you generate a reciprocity. You also inspire people to bring out the best. And I think that most of our people, our, our leaders are, are need more trust, not less. It's great. Um, Stephen, if you could very briefly just talk about the five waves of trust, just to give a, yep. a map for us, and then we'll delve in. I just use a metaphor of a ripple effect, the drop water coming down, the ripples, the waves moving out. And it starts with self-trust. That's the first wave. Do I trust myself? Do I give to my team a leader they can trust? And then it ripples out to the next wave, relationship trust, one-on-one. -on -one. And then I ripple out to the next wave, which is team or group or organizational trust. Could be me as the CEO of the company. Could be me as the leader of the team. Then I ripple out to the next wave, which is market trust. That's my stakeholder trust. And then I ripple out to the next wave, which is societal trust. And my point is that you, you move from the inside out. That trust starts with ourself and then it ripples out. It's hard to have trust with other people if you don't trust yourself. It's hard to have trust in a team if there's not trust in relationships. So moving inside out is a more sustainable and a better way to build trust than going outside in, which is saying, hey, I can't trust anyone. Um, you know, I don't trust them. Instead, say, hey, I'm going to look in the mirror. Do I give to them a partner that they can trust? Go inside out. It's a better approach. So the first wave, self-trust, you talk about these four cores of credibility, integrity, intent, capabilities, and results. And that feels like it's an important place to start, which is, do you, do you trust yourself? How do you help people build the, these cores? Because they're challenging. I mean, people spend their lives. I mean, in, integrity, you would almost think is a yes or no, but it's not. It's more complicated than that. And people, people struggle with, you know, the tension between what they want and what they, you know, how they, how they want to show up and also what they want. And that's where, you know, integrity can get weak a little bit for people. Um, I'm curious to hear you talk about your experiences of developing this in people and, and kind of some of the lessons you've learned around that. Yeah, it's a really great question because this is where it starts. In fact, I'll never forget one time I was doing a, a, a seminar session on the speed of trust. I presented the five waves, how trust has to be inside out. We have to start with ourselves. And this guy came up to me at a break and said, hey, Stephen, this is really helpful because um, you know, I, I, I think I see what's going on in my life. And then he kind of acknowledged, he goes, look, I'm not happy with where I'm at. I'm, and, and, uh, I'm not where I'd be. I thought I'd be in my, in my career and I've always blamed everybody else. You know, my whole life can't trust my boss. Can't trust the company. Can't trust management. Then I go home to the community. Can't trust, you know, my kids <laughs> can't trust my neighbor. And then he, he goes, I realized what my problem was. And then he kind of leaned in and whispered to me and he said, I don't trust myself. I don't trust myself. And I realized that that distrust of self, I'm now projecting that out onto everybody else. So what do I do? Kind of your key question. What do I, where do I start? 
And my answer was this very simple thing, and it's tied to this integrity you mentioned, and that is to, to learn to make and keep commitments to yourself. Because it's interesting, Peter, the fastest way to build trust with another person is to make that person a commitment and to keep it. Make another commitment and keep it. Repeat that process. Make, keep, commit. You know, make, excuse me, make, keep, repeat. Make, keep, repeat. You can build trust fast that way. But guess what? That's also the fastest way to build trust with yourself. Make yourself a commitment in the little things and keep it. And then another and keep it. In those small little things, that's integrity. That's clarity. That's power. And, and so it is not easy. It's an ongoing process. We never fully arrive. We're always striving. But this sense of clarity, of integrity, of power, starting with ourselves and the little things, the little commitments is where we begin. That's the integrity. That's the roots of the tree. You know, I talk about a tree, these four cores of credibility, the roots, the the trunk, the branches, the fruits. Those are the four things you said, the integrity, the intent, the capabilities, the results. But you start with the roots, the integrity, trusting yourself. And the key to that, learn to make and keep commitments to yourself. You know, I will just give it as an aside. I love this uh, this new book out. You maybe have seen it by Admiral uh, William McRaven, former uh, head of uh, special operations. You know, for uh, the military, he's the one that got Bin Laden. His team did, and um, and uh, he wrote a book, and it's simple. It's called "Make Your Bed." Make your bed, and the whole point is, you know, every day you can start out with a victory and with integrity by just doing a simple act of making your bed. And the, the whole idea is that that's one small commitment that you can keep. It's in your circle of influence. You can control it. You can do it every day. And by starting with that small thing, it leads to other commitments that you keep and that integrity that comes. You know, it's interesting because a lot of high performers have very high expectations of themselves and of others. And high expectations unreasonably high expectations, which actually allows them to, you know, hit the goal 60% of the time, which serves them in some ways. But it, what, what I'm also hearing you say is that also erodes their trust in themselves and other people because they set a bar that they can't possibly reach. And then their failure to reach it in some ways detracts from their belief or trust in their ability to follow through. Is that, am, I th- am I seeing this right? That, that absolutely can happen. And I want to distinguish, Peter, between having high expectations and then the actual making of a commitment. Because like you say, you know, high expectations is a good thing. It brings out the best in us. We, we, we tend to rise or fall to the level of our expectations. So having high expectations can be a good thing. Now, as we put that into a commitment, it's important that we don't that we treat a commitment as as real as genuine and so often with ourselves we we throw out all kinds of things we never intend to do and and um, and then we don't do it and what happens is that that does erode our sense of self-confidence and clarity that I don't deliver I don't perform to myself and and so so be careful you know distinguish between expectations and commitments and keep commitments almost at all costs or at least communicate when you can't and and yet at the same time I'm not afraid to have you know good high expectations because that brings out the best in us I just distinguish between the two but the important thing is to be, to build a reputation of brand with others and also with yourself that you do what you say you're going to do so it's actually interesting I'm hearing thing. I'm hearing a distinction that I want to bring out because it feels important. 
which is the distinction between process and results. And that ultimately, uh, what I'm hearing you say is, commit 100% to what you're going to do, but don't necessarily commit 100% to the result that that's going to create. Because the result that that's going to create, the impact, it's kind of the difference between intent and impact. The impact that you're going to have may not be entirely under your control, but how you show up and what you do in order to create that impact is in your control and that you are 100% trustworthy if you are clear about uh, and follow through on intent and what you, what you agree to do but be a little careful about the result that you're committing to because that may not be 100% in your control. I'm curious to have your reaction to that. Yeah, no, I fundamentally like that. I mean, because if, especially if you can't control the outcome, if you, you maybe influence it, and so you then focus on what you can control and you do commit to that and you give 100%, but if you can't control the outcome to then promise an outcome that you can't control and then not deliver on it, you'll lose trust with others and even with yourself. But where you, what you can control when it's process oriented, then you deliver on that. Now, the more you can focus your activities and your process on outcomes, the better, but, but not everything is controllable. And, you know, you know, you got, you got, uh, in sports, I, I coached a, a, a flag football team and, you know, my kids growing up. So I did this for 12 years every year. And, and, uh, we always had six goals and we could absolutely control the first five, which was, you know, that we were good sports, that we were team players, that we played hard, that we had fun, and that we learned something. But the sixth goal was we're going to compete to win. And we couldn't control for sure that we would win because there's another team. No, and although the way better. you stated that, you can totally control, which is we're going to compete to win. You we're didn't say we're going to win. If that's and six we can one, control that. If that 6-1 was we're going to win, you can't control that. But that's you can right. control that you're going to compete to win. And that's why we framed it that way, right. compete to win. I we love can that. control that. I love that. That feels really important. And, and also really important to have an outcome that you're focused on. But saying – Look, there's, I'm going to make $10 million of sales next year, and you could bank on it. I'm going to do it. And then you fall short, and then you lose trust. But if you go, here are the things I'm going to do to create those sales. Here are the things I'm going to commit to you, that I'm going to, and I'm going to keep you in track, and I'm going to let you know how I am every month. And, I'm going to, and then to follow through on all of those things, that creates trust. That creates trust, and it creates trust with yourself first. And that self-trust creates relationship trust inside out. That's truly the kind of core message of how trust is built and human nature tends to be outside in. We're waiting on everybody else. We're waiting on the boss. We're waiting on the peer, the colleague or the partner, the customer to change, to be trustworthy. And I'm saying, create it from the inside out, trust yourself, give them a partner they can trust, extend trust to them smartly, and then begin to create it and move out. Right. I, I, we're running out of time and there's so, I mean, you and I, Stephen, can talk for the next 10 hours and this would be really interesting and fun, at least for me. Um, but, and for me. But, but uh, the, here's, so I just want to touch on one element of the relationship trust, which I think is, you know, the, you've got, you've got a, a 18 behaviors, I think, uh, 13, Thir behaviors? 13, 13, 13, behaviors. 13 behaviors. So one of the behaviors was around <laughs> transparency. It's behavior number three. And and I think transparency is very hard for people. And it's hard because it's emotionally challenging for people to be totally yes. open and honest, et cetera. And I'd love to hear you speak for a moment on 
ways in which, especially in business, we can create more transparency or overcome our emotional resistance to kind of putting out there what we might be embarrassed about or we might be worried might come back to us in a way that would hurt us? Or how do you how do you build enough sort of trust in your uh, enough trust in order to then be transparent, which creates trust in relationships? Yeah, it's interesting. And I love the way you frame this because the relationship trust, you know, the behavior is transparency. But again, we didn't start with relationship trust. We started with self-trust. The higher self-trust you have, the more credible you are, the more courage that gives you to be open, to be vulnerable, to be transparent. The more clout that gives you, the more influence it gives you, the more permission it gives you. But I, you know, I know part of your work is around courage and emotional courage. And, and, um, and, you know, the more, the more clarity you have, the more integrity you have, that gives you more courage and, and, um, and, and to be vulnerable, to be open because you know who you are. And, 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 uh, and then you recognize this is how I build trust with others. I'm open. I'm transparent. There's nothing to hide here. I don't have a hidden agenda. I have an open agenda and it, it does take a risk to do that. And sometimes people might say, gosh, that's too risky. And I'm afraid to do that. But, you know, we've got to be at the working at the fringe of our circle of influence. And, and, um, and we've got to challenge ourselves, you know, be at the, the outside of our comfort zone, the, the fringe of our comfort zone, always pushing ourselves with openness, with vulnerability. The key to that is increasing your credibility, your self-trust. It opens you up. It gives you the courage to do it which is a big part of your work and mine as well. And so, um, you know, that helps you become more transparent. And I like to say that, you know, in a, in a very practical sense, transparency is kind of just you're telling the truth in a way that people can see and verify for themselves. And, and you're just opening it up. And so I use the expression, don't operate with a hidden agenda, open your agenda. And, and you'd be amazed at what that does to build the, the, the mutual trust, the, the relationship trust in a relationship. But the key to that, self-trust. That gives you the courage to do just that. That's, that's really a, such a big takeaway from this conversation, which is how important it is to show up and be the kind of person that you trust that that's the foundation of everything and that that like really, you know, of everything I'm taking both in the conversation and now coloring the book is the integrity piece. And it's like, if, if you have a gap of integrity to yourself that nobody else knows about, that probably does more damage to your ability to trust others and your own sense of your trustworthiness than anything else. I, I think so. I think as you're capturing a great key takeaway because the essence of my message is that trust is created from the inside out. And this, it, it requires our credibility and our behavior. But if we just focus on the behavior alone, Without that foundation of credibility, those behavioral those behaviors they could just become techniques. They could become you know manipulation. You know, think of a con man. You know, a con man is short for confidence man, right? And it's someone that's going to try to earn your trust in order to deceive you or hurt you later. So they do the behavior. You know, they they maybe talk straight and they they, they deliver and you start to say, yeah, I can trust this person. But look, they don't have that integrity. They don't have that credibility at the foundation. So the behavior helps earn your trust, but then they deceive you because they're not integrated. They're not, 
you know, they're not uh, congruent. But but so that's that that behavior becomes a manipulation technique, a tool. And in the long run, you won't sustain the trust that way. But when you behave in ways that build trust built on that first starting foundation of credibility, personal credibility, trusting yourself, your character, your competence, those are equals, character and competence, but character is first among equals. And that's the integrity base, the roots, the foundation, trusting yourself and 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 the courage, which is so much part of your work. I, I believe this, that the reason it takes courage to have integrity is because it's relatively easy to have integrity when there's not a cost or a consequence to it. It's easy for, for me to do the right thing when it doesn't cost me anything. Aha, the test of integrity is when there's a cost or a consequence. What do I do then? That's my test. And until then, I haven't fully been tested. That takes courage. That courage creates integrity, clarity, power. That power becomes then a foundation of credibility, of self-trust, which then extends and ripples out to build all kinds of other trust. And yes, there's other things we got to do. So it's not sufficient to just do that, but it is always is the starting point. And I'm thrilled that that's kind of the key idea and takeaway you're, you're gleaning. And I'm thrilled with how you riffed off of it because it's, it's really, it's really inspiring and so true. And I've learned a lot. The speed of trust, the one thing that changes everything, Stephen M. R. Covey. Um, I could see why your father was so proud of you. And, and, uh, you. and I'm so appreciative that you have sort of continued in the lineage of, of, of really kind of helping us to show up uh, in a way that we can be proud of ourselves and we can accomplish the kinds of things we want to and have the kinds of relationships that we want to ultimately, uh, which is what is most important. So, Stephen, thank you so much for being on the Bregman Leadership Podcast. Oh, thank you so much, Peter. I'm really honored, delighted to be here. And I'll conclude with just this, this uh, thought. The very, uh, I believe this, that the very first job of a leader is to inspire trust. And we do that through our credibility and our behavior. And the second job of a leader is to extend trust. But it happens in that order. We first inspire it through who we are. We then extend it through our behavior. That's great. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you, Peter. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Bregman Leadership Podcast. If you did, it would really help us if you subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. A common problem that I see in companies is a lot of busyness, a lot of hard work that fails to move the organization as a whole forward. That's the problem that we solve with our Big Arrow process. For more information about that or to access all of my articles, videos, and podcasts, visit peterbregman.com. Thank you, Claire Marshall, for producing this episode, and thank you for listening.